My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us today on what is a sunny but cool winter morning here in the capital and joining me on the show to add hopefully a little bit more warmth and brightness to affairs is Tim Button. Tim is a doctor of chiropractic and founded Cleve Chiropractic Practice in Bristol back in 2003 and has since established that clinic as one of the best of its kind in the country. Uh, Tim, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure having you uh, join us, Tim. Now, you have sort of a really extensive background, of course, in um, sort of chiropractic, uh, let's say. But I understand as well that you were also involved sort of on the side of that um, in a military organization that is unfortunately no longer with us, Close Air Solutions. And it was interesting to just understand, like, how has maybe that sort of military experience alongside your career has it rubbed off on sort of your general leadership style at all would you say and how you go about sort of leading your business today well working with close air solutions was an interesting um side project almost for me because i I took it on um because it was a friend of uh, mine's company that he started with um using uh, seed investment um, so I invested in his company and he asked me to come on board as a non-executive director. And for me, I was um, starting to uh, work in other leadership roles and, and it was a good opportunity to experience board leadership in a different style to my to my normal form of leadership running my chiropractic clinic. So working on a board as opposed to being essentially a sole leader um, and understanding businesses, understanding um uh, bigger financial budgets. I mean, the military was completely out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. as a as an industry, um, but that wasn't what they needed me for. Um, they needed me for um, you know trying to understand um, uh, things in a lay in a lay manner um, and how to express them to other people for them, um, and also uh, seeing the wood for the trees when they get bogged down in in detail in, in the mili- in the military world. They can. Um, talk to the other uh, executive directors for, for more general guidance. It was a really interesting uh, period, actually, where I, I started, to, started to understand um, the, the role of CEOs, um, founder, um, owners, um, other non-executive directors, different skill sets that different people bring. And, yeah, and it, was, it, was, yeah, it was very different um, from being a chiropractor, but, um, yeah, but, but a useful learning tool for me. Yeah, and going back sort of before that, I suppose, um, I, you, you sort of had to navigate the challenge of starting your own sort of chiropractic practice, um, essentially with no investments and no sort of formal business education. So I can imagine that was sort of a real step out into sort of a strange world for you as well. Um, how did you sort of overcome that challenge? Well, overcoming challenges, I guess. I mean, the I um, I've always, um, ever since I've, you know, youngster been happy overcoming challenges. I've always been someone who can sit down, think things through clearly. I can work hard when I need to. Um, and so I've, I've always been confident that if a challenge arises, I can overcome it. So when you start a brand new business from scratch, straight from university, so chiropractic um, uh, university was five years. And so I, I went to straight from school at 18 and I graduated when I was 23 I left and immediately day one I went and drove to London to you have to um, pay for your license um, and register 
and I did that the moment I got my um, degree, and then uh, I set up Cleve Chiropractic um, from that point, and I did it with a lot of confident naivety. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know, but I was confident that when challenges come that you don't know are going to come, that I I have the sort of um, personality type that will sit down, I'll think about them, I'll work them through, um, and I can and I can overcome most things. So right. I uh, naively started, but uh, with a, with some sort of sense of confidence. And sort of having successfully done that, uh, what's the sort of single biggest piece of advice you'd maybe sort of give to somebody who's looking to start their own business or organisation themselves? Um, uh, there's, do you know what? It's more, there's, there's more than one. The first thing is you can't start a business in any stretch of this world. It's a, silly, it's a simple thing to say, but you can't be lazy. You have to be dedicated. You have to work hard. You have to be willing to put the time in. And then at the same time, you need an element of creativity. You must be creative and you must be a touch brave because um, you might be doing something that, uh, or a variant of something that someone hasn't quite done before. Um, and so you must be able to be confident that you know what you're doing. Um, and then on top of that, when you start really thinking problems through um, and you start planning for um, a new business, it's so important to talk to people you respect. Um, and you can't, you know, not one mentor necessarily, but have multiple mentors across different industries and people with different skill sets and talk and talk and talk and talk it through. So you formulate good plans um, yourself and then and then sit there and write lists, <laughs> list after list after list and write them once you finish writing them, write another one. Exactly right. And we've talked a lot already about sort of overcoming challenges and it would be remiss if we didn't talk about sort of one of the greatest challenges of our time that we've been undertaking over the uh, the last two years, trying to navigate what the COVID-19 pandemic has thrown at us. Now, obviously running your own sort of chiropractic business, let's say, I mean, that has challenges in and of itself when you're sort of hit with social restrictions, but you're also vice president, Tim, I understand, of the British Chiropractic Association. So you therefore had to sort of take a lead in informing the industry, you know, what was going to be expected of them interpreting guidance, etc. So just how operationally grand a challenge was the pandemic, particularly in those early weeks? Cool. Wow. So... Um, so one of my other roles then is to be vice president of the British Chiropractic Association. Um, now, thankfully, we've um, been in charge uh, for a couple of years um, to start to develop some of the um, strength in the team um, behind the scenes, uh, which was useful. And the president um, works in my clinic, um, which is useful as well. So we, we have a close relationship and we work well together. Um, we also have a board, um, uh, as you can imagine, and we work very well together. It's a good board. Um, but for the two years prior, we had, it's important to note that we had strategically taken on um, a new CEO who was incredibly talented with a huge amount of experience um, and a new communications director. And we had um, shuffled around um, another member of staff in our team to make her, um, she was fantastic with members, to make her a membership. Uh, director and we developed this team it was sort of young but good um, um, in the in the years building up to the pandemic so the timing was just just about okay with that but when mm-hmm. when COVID hit it hit everybody out of the blue and um, 
thankfully, uh, chiropractic, of course, the regulated healthcare profession. Um, and so we were in a very strange position, actually, because we were by law allowed um, to work through the pandemic without being, we were one of the businesses exempt from being shut down. Mm-hmm. However, at the very early stages, it was felt that you couldn't really obey health and safety law when there was no PPE available, there was no risk assessment about how to work in a um, in a pandemic. Um, you know, how could you guarantee the safety of your staff or your patients when you don't have PPE or you don't have any uh, risk assessments about how to work in, in this um, scenario? Um, so we, along with um, pretty much all of the other private healthcare organizations, recommended to our members that whilst we figure this out, um, that we, uh, because it's not, um, chiropractic is not life-saving care, it, it might feel so often to patients, it really does, but it's, um, it, you know, it's not um, uh, essentially life-saving in that manner. So mm-hmm. we we decided um, that it was a good idea for, for, for the majority of the profession, essentially almost all the profession, to shut down whilst we get this organised. And at the, at the same time, we were trying to run our advice based from government advice, Public Health England and the healthcare authorities from, from of course, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales, which was mildly frustratingly different in each area. Um, And we set the task of constantly reviewing the information and the research and everything that came through. And then um, our staff team um, are very, very good, but they're not, they're not healthcare providers themselves or trained in healthcare. Um, So, a lot of the weight fell down on Catherine and I to liaise with Public Health England and the, and the other authorities to understand and interpret the data that isn't bespoke for chiropractic. It's, mm. it, it was often for the you know, big NHS system, which has different pressures and different um, features to its healthcare. Um, so we had to understand the data, keep up with the constant changes, and then interpret it for our members. And I have to say, it did take, it was probably a couple of months before it settled. Um, and we could give start to create a really good framework um, for our members throughout the whole UK to work to. And at the same time, we had to source what we called ethical sources of PPE, because at the time there was such mm. a shortage of PPE that you couldn't um, suddenly start looking at PPE sources that could potentially be taking it away from frontline healthcare. So we had to source um, ethical PPE and, and find um, a, a, a place for our members to buy it. We then had to create, obviously, the framework and risk assessments for our members. We had to deal with another new challenge, which is waste disposal, because healthcare waste disposal is another whole big topic, um, and and understand that. And then we had to create a really big um, um, lecture, essentially, on Zoom, like everybody was doing, to the entire country um, and our professions that uh, we could then teach our members how to open safely again when the when that time was right um, after that first shocking lockdown um, and it and it, it yeah it was it was a really you know what it was really difficult it was very stressful but it's also probably one of the most rewarding times of my life it's it, mm. interesting to be essentially you know holding the holding the, the present when the when the music stops um, it happens to be our our turn to be. Uh, in a leadership role mm. at that point, but it was um, 
yeah, it was challenging but good. And and ultimately, I think because we were really quite successful with how we managed it, um, it, 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 I look back at it as a time that I'm quite fond of. Um, to be honest, it was it was mm. um, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that despite the pitfalls of sort of crisis management and the effects that that can have on sort of stress levels, morale, and also sort of the mental health of yourselves and your colleagues, you might sort of feel you're burning yourself out at times. I can imagine that when the chips are down and you're sort of in that kind of survival mode, you do learn a lot about yourself, don't you? And there are some real positive lessons to do with sort of resilience and also sort of operational lessons, I suppose, as well, that we can really sort of take forward as, as a positive, despite this sort of real time of tragedy that we've seen. Well, there's, there's many things that um, that create a good team. There's many different environments, isn't there, that, that can develop, develop a team, um, affect morale. And I have to say, when you're, really under the cosh and it feels like all guns are aimed at you, you develop that team that's there, that small team can really develop close ties. And I have to say, coming out of the pandemic, um, that's also, you, you know, you benefit from those people. You've been through an incredible time together um, and you've survived it. And, and you've also succeeded. You've done well during that time. You've thrived. Because the BCA, for example, we like we, our our team of three who were instrumental through it through that time and uh, Catherine and I the president and I were obviously um, a part of the leadership team but they were instrumental in in everything that we did the staff team and there was only three of them and, and other organizations other healthcare organizations you know they, they would have maybe 20 members of staff who helped them through the pandemic so the work of three doing 20 it was it really I have to say it's it's so noticeable how well they a get on um, and b how well they work together and they they like I say they'd only been a quite a new team really and they know each other's strengths <laughs> they know each other's weaknesses they know the ins and outs of everything and yeah it's um, being going through a crisis together can really bond you it's, um, mm. yeah it's, it's it's not it's not all bad I mean the, the mental health issues um, are, are always there you have to be careful of everyone's stress especially when you you're in a leadership position, you must make sure everyone's okay. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it's an interesting, an interesting time to work through and not all bad. And it sounds as if it didn't sort of perturb productivity either. I mean, if anything, you're almost giving that little extra 10%, aren't you, in a sense, because you're in that crisis mode, you're in that survival mode, and you know that surely for sheer survival, I mean, obviously the, the good of the profession, you know, we've got to keep going here. Well, when it in terms of the BCA productivity, the, the productivity that came out of the BCA, you, we, I don't think the BCA has ever seen a time in its 96 year history that it was as productive. I mean, it couldn't have given its members any more any more as a as a as a, as a group. Um, but then the problem the problem with the pandemic has truly been the length of time that it's gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, so burnout is a real issue. So all of those staff members. Despite you know, I'm talking how well they did. I'd be I'd be remiss I'd be remiss to say that I I, I wasn't um, we weren't um, worried a little bit that they they could be getting to the end of their tether at times. Um, and it was important to help manage that stress um, and make sure that they were looking after themselves, taking time off because it felt like you know no one had a day off. You know it was almost a seven day a week job. Um, 
and it didn't, you know, it didn't just stop after the first wave. It's gone on, and here we are now, still two years later, um, and it's gone on and on and on and on. It, hopefully, it feels like we're coming through somewhere now, but the pure length of time for people to work under under duress, I really do feel for the people that are working in the NHS. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of, you know, the people managing the stress levels of the doctors and the nurses, everybody associated with the NHS um, must be so, so high. Um, you know, even from my own chiropractic clinic perspective, you know, there's the, you have to manage the, the, the longer term stress of working under different conditions, harder conditions, more tricky conditions. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting time to manage people's mental well-being, I have to say. Yeah, and it's not an easy fix sort of managing the sort of health and social care workforce at the moment, especially given the labour shortages that we're seeing there. I mean, that is a huge, huge challenge on the horizon that really does need to be addressed. And we're seeing the real effects of that right now. Um, But also, you know, as you mentioned, there is some cautious optimism that at least on the one hand, we are coming out of the acute phase of COVID and hopefully that will ease the pressure somewhat. So I suppose for yourselves as well, I mean, for the the immediate future, you know, there is also that little bit of cautious optimism, you know, we're coming out of this and we can really start to sort of build up now. Truly, yes, Um, it does. I mean, so, you know what, from a chiropractic perspective, very, very proud of all of the chiropractors in the in the UK. Because during the whole pandemic, essentially, we were asked to stay open. It wasn't just a case that we were allowed to. We were asked to to try and help take the stress and strain off the NHS. So mm-hmm. if we close, you know, imagine the number of patients that, you know, end up in A&E with back pain or, or the like. So, so all of the chiropractors had to risk themselves and staff and the families and put everyone a little bit more at risk to, to try and keep the pressure off the NHS. So they've done incredibly well with that. But there's a strange thing that's happened. Um, it's a term that I've been told not to use, but I like it. It's um, that I think there's almost been a pandemic of back pain because of the pandemic, of course, because the number of people working from home um, who now sit on their couch to do their work or sit at mm. their, uh, their table, they're, they're working. You know, I really find people working, doing office work from Zoom and, and the like, are working harder and longer and are moving less. And they've created so much back pain um, from the type of work that they've had to change to in the pandemic. But the chiropractic has seen a real boom mm. um, across the board. Uh, there's a real shortage of chiropractors. Um, chiropractic is quite a small profession compared to the other healthcare professions. Um, there's only about three and a half thousand chiropractors in the country. Um, there's not enough of us. And you, you can really see that. So, the current the current climate is that you we're seeing lots and lots of patients trying to book in to try and help their help their back, um, but we're also strangely seeing and right now at this at this time in January we're seeing lots of cancellations for people off with COVID. Um, so you've got you, you you can start the day with one list and finish a day with a completely different list almost because the number of people trying to get in and the numbers of people saying oh I'm in isolation or I can't come. It's a mm. yeah it's a funny time. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And hopefully, of course, the isolation problem won't be around for too much longer. But of course, given that, you know, the industry is having that boom and there is still a shortage of sort of chiropractors um, over the next sort of 12 months, Tim, just before we wrap up, I'd be interested to understand what some of your sort of priorities are going to be both within your business, of course, Cleve Chiropractic, and also within the wider BCA as well. And um, what ideally are you sort of hoping to establish with both over the uh, the next uh, 12 months? Well, um, so for my 
my chiropractic business, my personal business, taking that first, mm-hmm. um, I um, I grew my business. In 2003, when I first started, I was a lone, a lone wolf. And, I, and the local rugby club, my local rugby club, I knew really well, gave me the room for free as long as I did the first team for free. Um, so I could, I could have no, I had no finance to support me, but I didn't need it because I didn't have any outgoing. So my one patient that I, earned, I saw that first week was, was um, all of that uh, money came to me. I didn't have to pay any rent or anything at the time. Um, essentially, I, I, I paid I paid rent with my own time of working for the first thing. So I, as I um, developed through through this, I uh, for seven years I worked there, and then for ten years I built myself a slightly bigger clinic with four treatment rooms, and that was when I first started leading people. And then after ten years of working there, I thought I needed a, a, a bigger unit, so I planned and developed, and I and I just down the road from my my old clinic I bought and renovated a big um, clinic with 10 treatment rooms a gym a physio center and all the different things a a perfect place for me to work Um, and that was a a, a quite a highly stressful thing and I completed it just months before the first lockdown so all of my plans that I had to grow and develop and really and really work on that clinic were also put into a spin. Um, so I've gone into survival mode through the lockdown. Then we're sort of now trying to, you know, develop and, and find find our way. But as this lockdown now feels like it's coming to an end, um, I've started to put the onus on um, uh, developing it, taking on, looking at taking on new staff, using the extra space I've got to, to really grow, um, there's been a huge demand, like I said, in in patients wanting to see chiropractors. But we also have physiotherapists and sports therapists, and we have an acupuncturist and nutritional therapist. Um, and so my job now is to really grow the clinic, the team, mm-hmm. um, not just not just me or the chiropractic business. So to be successful and have the clinic that I dreamed of, um, which has been almost paused for two years. That's what this next twelve months are for. Mm-hmm. And really, strangely, ironically, um, uh, a, a week or so ago, I I was put into isolation for ten days, along with along with every other person I've met recently. Um, I had very low grade um, COVID symptoms, thankfully, um, which enabled me to sit there and really do a lot of administration. I really looked at my um you know my social media my planning my website my booking system um uh the the, the longer term strategy and it's strangely having having COVID forced me to stop and allowed me to have time and really plan for the future of uh, of chiropractic and and really um and show the rest of bristol and the southwest um what a great place it is to, to come and have treatment and, and to work um, and at the same time, because we've got a lot of experience, virtually everybody who works for me has worked in elite sport, in football, in rugby, yeah. the Olympics, and different things. And what our um, our aim is obviously not just to create um, one of the best um, uh, sports injury clinics and healthcare clinics in the country, but it'll also to then help other um, practitioners and health healthcare people learn, or people who are interested in becoming chiropractors, physios, and and the other professions um, to to take that same path 
um, or, or to see if that's a path for them. So I think the next 12 months of the clinic is incredibly exciting. Um, but with, with regard to the BCA, mm-hmm. now that's also come to a really good time because it, it, as you um, as you can see that um, Catherine and I, the, the president and I and the, and the board are, uh, with people who like to do things, change things. Um, we like to um, make things, you know, develop things, make them, you know, they were good before, but you, like, you know, you always look for where you can improve rather than just keep doing the same. And so, like I say, we've, we've rebuilt the the staff team into a really effective team. And a big part of what we mm-hmm. wanted to do was look at the brand of, the, of chiropractic in the UK. We, um, so over the last year, our communications director has led a really good team um looking at the, uh, you know, asking every, all of our um, uh, uh, stakeholders what they think of chiropractic, you know, our outside stakeholders, what do GPs think of chiropractic, what do physios think of chiropractic, um, what what do our own uh, chiropractic members um, think of uh, us, how we think we are, what we'd like to be, where we'd like to go. And we did a massive um, uh, research project, essentially, which ended up in a... Um, a rebound and a repositioning project that we just completed. Um, so again, the timing of that has been useful over the last um, 12 months. And we, we've we really focused on what we call patient-centered care, which is the opposite of clinical-centered care. So again, I'm a massive believer in the sense that the good business for us is putting the patient at the center of all your decision-making as opposed to putting the clinic, which, which means that you're always doing your best for the the patient not for finance and business so and that way um, finance and business will look after itself because you've got a good reputation and lots of people would like to come and see you and they trust you more than anything so we've made the bca the home for chiropractors who want to put their patients first and and from this we now want to do some um, more research we want to show um, our stakeholders um, how well evidence-based chiropractic is um, we want to go and speak to the insurance companies and, and, and talk to them about um, uh, what a great profession covers, how good it is for their patients. They, uh, corporate is widely um, looked after with uh, the insurance companies in the in the UK, but there's discrepancies that could be looked uh, for, and, and there's uh, there's other wider goals for the British Chiropractic Association that we can now we've got a really good identity. I really feel that we can push forward and really bring the chiropractic profession on um, in the UK to be one of the um, uh, one of the best trusted and well-known healthcare professions um, within the United Kingdom, so that everybody understands that they see their GP, their dentist, their optician, but they should also understand that there's a really good place for them to see their chiropractor. And um, so that's quite a lot for 12 months. That might be a bit more, mm. <laughs> but, yeah, but we'll see where it takes us. Yeah, some incredible aims. And um, obviously when we get to sort of 12 months down the line, I'd relish the opportunity to have you back on the show, Tim, just to see how that um, sort of vision is being borne out on both sides. Um, it's a real shame as well that we've just about run out of time today because I could literally sit and discuss this with you all day and I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the programme. It's been really insightful and a real, real pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me again. I've, um, I've really enjoyed it. I, I hope it's been useful for you and um, the listeners. Yes, I'm sure the listenership base has really um, enjoyed the uh, the discussion. And uh, Tim, of course, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on just before we, uh, we do depart. Will do. Thank you very much. You too. Yep. Take care.
And to all listeners tuning in today as well, please do continue to take care and look after yourselves as we sort of hopefully move out of this acute phase of the uh, the pandemic. And for those who've listened to uh, Tim's counter today and feel that you might have your own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders Council, then why don't you also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, everyone, take care and goodbye.